As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. My name is Ben Sternke. I'm here with my co-hosts, Matt Tebby and Christy Penley. Yo, How yo. are you, yo, my yo. friends? Yeah? <laughs> you know. I, I said, how are you? No, I'm, I'm wondering how you okay, are. You uh, just said hello. Yeah, I'm good. You know what? Yeah. You know what, Ben? Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I got my uh, ADHD medicine uh, adjusted this week. <sighs> yeah, I heard about this. Yep. What's and that doing for you? Well, it's great. Yeah. Uh, I almost made a suppository joke, and I didn't. I just want everybody to know that things could have got <laughs> I, really dark. I think dark that qualifies as making the. Su- oh, I think goodness. that qualifies no, as actually no, making no, the joke. No, it doesn't. No, no, because okay. the joke would have been uh, more inappropriate. Uh, no, they just uh, adjusted my meds, and I actually they actually feel them now. They actually hmm. <laughs> they're actually working yeah. for the first time what in is, three months. On what medicine. is it? What does it feel like? What do you feel? What's different? Yeah, are you super focused? I feel so. One of the things that ADHD does, and I didn't know about this, is that most people have the ability, for the most part, to focus on something and like work. And then, like, I need to take a break. I've been focusing too long. And then, what their brain does is it lets go of the thing at hand and it sort of daydreams and wonders and sort of, you know, pings around. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a switch that controls that, right? And a normal, uh, neurally normal brain. Pretty much, I mean, sometimes your body's like, I focus enough, I'm daydreaming. But pretty much you can, you know, control that. Decide. You can decide to do that. Volitionally decide. ADHD brains, the switch is broken. And so you're constantly daydreaming. And constantly, your your brain is constantly going on sort of relaxation mode or 
um, scatter mode. And the, one of the immediate things I noticed was I'm not comp- I'm not f- pinging everywhere in my head all the time. Hmm. There's way less there's way less mental fidgetiness. Hmm. Interesting. Super nice. Um, That's great. Yeah, super yeah. good. Uh, the other thing is I I've just been plowing through administrative things, mm-hmm. so things that aren't uh, mentally uh, engaging or titillating. They mm-hmm. like I get bored. And mm-hmm. I find I'm doing like six things at once and it takes me like five times as long to do like a really boring thing. But as soon as I took this new medicine, I had like one of the most productive hours of my life wow. doing minutia. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So, and my nose wow. is running. So those are the ways I know that uh, I think there's something about- <laughs> It's uh, a weird side effect. <laughs> there's like a narrowing of the blood vessels that's uh, creating oh, some that's sort of- uh, nasal issues but uh, that's that's a small okay. price to pay small for to pay. a normal Nose human existence but you're focused and you're doing lots of work which yep, is good that's fun yeah yeah i just want everybody to yes. know too uh that i also did not make the crushing up adderall and snorting it joke with my nose running uh like, so i've yeah. i've i've not made two Y'all, jokes right now seriously that, well but I you mentioned them two, yeah. it doesn't matter two jokes like, you think you didn't make <laughs> well like the it's the thought that counts this is really good it's the thought that like, don't think that. Don't say it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a thought that gives me demerits is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it qualifies as you, you You claim, you said that you censored out two bad jokes, which mm-hmm. I think probably equals one bad joke. Okay. I think you told one good bad work. joke. So good still, work, Matt. Hey, maybe let's chalk good. that up to the medicine. Maybe the medicine's <laughs> helping. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's like, um, I, I always like to pat myself on the back. Uh, publicly, because mm. it's, it's really endearing to people. Um, wh- people how are you, Christy? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I just like I was on. I took the day off. I'm today's off, and I'm in between nice. semesters, which is awesome. And mm-hmm. I went on a big old long hike today, and I just got off the mountain and jumped on this call. You literally mm-hmm. ran down a mountain to get on yeah. this. To get yes, on this I podcast did. Interview. That's awesome. It's, it's it was super fun. Christy, yeah. That's so great. any listeners who are like. In Colorado Springs, I did the incline. Mm. They'll know what that means. Yeah, the incline. So, that's insider language. That's right. Yeah, it was good. The rest of us feel excluded, perhaps. <laughs> come visit yeah. me. Any okay. listener okay. is Any? welcome to come visit me, and I will take them up the incline. Ooh. That and she's not being uh, hyperbolic. She will literally. I will do it. She will, I will literally. Do it. It's a mile you up. In her home. Yeah, you go up three thousand feet in one mile, and then you then you hike down several wow. miles. I think it's like three or four miles down. So Sounds exhilarating. It's good. It's a good workout. Yeah, it's good. Cool. All right. Well, good stuff, guys. I uh, I find myself uh, really tired. We were just talking about this before we hit record, mm-hmm. but I'm I feel like it's. Uh, I mean, there's this writing deadline we're up against. Matt Matt and I are writing something. Yeah. And uh, I don't feel like I have any margin. Uh, and there's been a pandemic, you know, going on for you know, 18 months or whatever it's been now. Yeah. Um, I feel like my week, my week sort of at Thursday about like, I, I have two cohorts on Thursday afternoons and like after I get off those Gravity Leadership Academy cohorts, I feel like, okay, that's good. I think we're done. I think we're done here. And then the like Friday comes and it's like, no, we're not done. <coughs> we and got one my, more day. My body's like, oh, I think days. we need to be done. So anyway, so I don't know. I don't know about the quality of my work here on mm. Fridays. I don't know what it, I don't know what it's like, so. You need a day off, my friend. Yeah. I know, but I don't feel like I can afford it. But, you know, that's probably. No, but like that's probably what you need so that you'll be more. Right, right. Yeah. 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 So, anyway. All right. Well, I'll try to, I'll try to, 
I'll try to do better, Christy. No, no, you. it's not about doing better. Which <laughs> yeah. is, I love you guys, and <laughs> I better. want you to no, be like, know. you know, I not know be like hanging mm-hmm. on by a fingernail. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Right. Well, amen. You, amen to that. Don't don't talk to Christy and think you'll leave unexhorted. Mm. She will <laughs> exhort. She will exhort, exhort. Exhortation. Yeah, she'll exhort the faithlessness out of you, Ben. Is what yeah. she'll. You know what? Amen. This is funny that amen you say that. that. Just yesterday, I I saw an old friend who is running for mayor eventually in my oh. town. Like it's like super okay. cool thing. <clears throat> anyway, I saw him, and after I saw him, I was like. I need to tell them some things. And so I like, you know how you can like record, like do the voice text voice to people? I oh, love voice that. Text. I know. I love like, voice text. I do. I really love voice text. I like sent him this message. And then I don't know if you've ever like kind of exhorted and just kind of like said it out there, but then you get a little insecure. Like, oh, yeah. Ooh, I don't know if I should. I mean, like yeah. we're the same age, but I was like, I'm so proud of you. I like, this is what I see the Lord doing in yeah. you. And I <laughs> got a little insecure and. You're but maybe I, a little bit too much mama bear energy. I, I was, yeah, maybe, but I, I still meant it, so I still did it. Okay, good. Uh, well, uh, thank you for exhorting me, Christy. I just love you guys. Yeah, You're a coach. Meaningful. You're a coach, Christy, at heart. Like, you coach yeah, people. Coach Christy. <laughs> you really are. new name. You really coach are. Coach Christy. Well, all, all this right. to say, I'm going to I'm follow up with you, Ben. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. in a couple oh. weeks, I'm going to yep. see if oh, you man. took a day off. All right. Yep, you didn't well, ask I mean, this I take, accountability I take partner, a day but you got it. To be clear, I do take a day off every week, but I uh, I hear you. I might yeah. need a little extra time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so a uh, couple uh, housekeeping items here before we get into our interview today with Brian Zond. Mm-hmm. One is that if you are not part of our online community, where you get an email every there's my dog. Uh, She's like, sign me up every sign time. Up. It's so I'm good. not on the. Email. You keep telling me you're going to get me an email address. No, if you're not on our, if you're not on our email list, uh, go to gravityleadership.com/slash/join to join us. Uh, you get um, all kinds of goodies, uh, but the main goodie you get is every Friday we send a list. We send a list of curated links. Um, just uh, articles yeah. that we found helpful, and they're kind of all over the place, uh, which is kind of fun. It's it's kind of reflects our eclectic uh, interests. So yes. some of them are theological and and ministry related and cultural. Uh, but like you know, this past week we sent one that was just uh, about like phrases that you write in emails that make you sound passive aggressive. <laughs> it was a helpful article. I was yeah. like, oh, hey, yeah. super I write awesome. Some of these. Uh, and then what to do instead. So anyway. Um, very, very uh, relatable content, as the kids say <laughs> these days. Do they? So uh, anyway, sign up for that. Um, get, uh, become part of our online community and uh, you'll get, you know, you'll just be up to date on what's happening. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to let uh, our listeners know about is that we are starting sort of uh, t- uh, very, with much trepidation, stepping into the live events, uh, mm-hmm. workshops, kind of thing again. And we are going to be in Northwest Indiana Woo-hoo. on November. I got to get the date right. I'm sorry. I didn't get pull it right. this up. Uh, November 20th, Saturday, Friday and Saturday, November tw- 19th and 20th. We're going to be in Chesterton, uh, Indiana, doing a discipleship workshop with yeah. a friend of ours up there. And uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, if you're interested in joining us, if you're in the vicinity, that would be a public workshop. Uh, we'll talk about the missing ingredient in a lot of our discipleship. And uh, we'd love to see you there at a live event. Imagine Yay. that. Imagine so that. fun. Imagine that. Look at so, us. 
Uh, look at us. Um, <laughs> anything else uh, that you guys can think of that we need to announce today? Other than it's Christy's birthday. It is Christy's <laughs> birthday. It is my birthday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we're recording this, September 24th, yep. it's your birthday. Yeah. Yep. So happy birthday. Thank my you. My birthday was the 21st. I happy know. Birthday happy to belated too. birthday too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We're, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a great month to have a birthday. <laughs> it is. So. Anyway. And I'm going after this recording. I'm going to get in and out. That's oh, my out. birthday dinner. Like a burger, That's what I like want. A, the burger. Yeah. The burger company. I just, yeah. You're I not want... just going in and out of some random place. <laughs> yeah. No. People okay. who know in and out, they understand that. They get lingo. it. Yeah. Incline, in and out. I'm sorry. Incline, in and out. This is all, <laughs> all like insider terms for college. We don't have those here yeah. in yes, Indiana. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get into this interview, friends. Uh, this is uh, Brian Zahn's new book. Uh, we talked to him about his new book, When Everything's on Fire, mm-hmm. Faith Forged from the Ashes. It's very uh, alliterated. I didn't notice that the first time we went through that. Um, but uh, Brian, uh, just he's been on the podcast several times now, and uh, I can't even remember. I think this is maybe his third time, maybe his fourth time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he... Um, he talks about what it looks like to kind of move through a crisis of faith and go on the journey of reconstruction. So that journey is something that's very close to our heart, Yeah, something that we want to help uh, folks do as well. And so enjoy this conversation with Brian Zond. Yep. But can I just, one part before we say go, I just want, okay. I just want everybody to know that I filtered out a uh, red meat as a level three carcinogen uh, mm-hmm. when Chrissy mentioned she's going to in and out because I didn't want to ruin her birthday. So I've filtered okay. out three jokes today. Right. That, that somehow managed to get recorded. No, I just want everybody to, to know podcast. that I am working overtime. See, this yeah. is see the switch isn't broken on on my in my brain. It's being mm. it's being managed. And mm. I'm able to not say these things now. Yeah. Everything's working I think, out roses. I think that's yeah, I think that's debatable whether or not you said those things. So, maybe anyway. I maybe we should up my meds again. <laughs> maybe. Just change them. Who knows? All right, friends. Well, here's Brian's on. Yep. Brian Zond, welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to the gravity. Yeah. <laughs> Being drawn back. Hello, yeah, Ben. Drawn back. You Matt can't to be with you guys. I like you guys. I like what you're doing. So, yeah, great to Thanks. be here. Yeah, you were, you were one of our um, many, uh, you've been on this podcast perhaps as many times as anybody, maybe more. I'm not <clears> even sure. Repeat offender. Repeat offender. <laughs> recidivism. Yep. Keeps coming, keeps coming back. The gravity keeps drawing back in. I like that yep. joke. That's good. Uh, well, we, uh, we wanted to have you back on, uh, Brian, cause you've written a new book. Uh, you seem to, you seem to do this every, how often do you, do you, do you write a new book? This feels like a kind of a full-time job for you now. It's about one a year, which okay. is, and they take a year and a half to publish them. So, so yeah, this becomes a problem. Yeah. 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 Well, that's great. Um, the new book is called When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. I appreciate the uh, alliteration there. Um, tell us a little bit about what's it about. Uh, tell us about this new book. Well, this is the book that begins like this. Once upon a time, mm-hmm. we all believed in God. It's a book that I am wanting to address the very real problem of people 
losing their faith. Hmm. Um, you know, it's almost become commonplace, you know, what well-known Christian celebrity or whatever is going to tell us today yeah. that they no longer believe. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's also happens, you know, those are the ones that gain our attention. Hmm. I, I suppose it's a book where I am trying to help people uh, walk through what is called deconstruction. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that term. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why, why don't you like that? <clears throat> well, I mean, first of well, for lots of reasons. One of the chapters is in, is entitled Deconstructing Deconstruction. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, first of all, it, it comes into the lexicon through Jacques Derrida. And this mm-hmm. was his approach to texts and that there are all kinds of hidden meanings behind the text, often bids for power that we need to deconstruct. But the problem is you can deconstruct a text forever. Um, and then you, if you follow it as far as Derrida does, you end up with the idea that that words maybe don't even have any meaning. And it's it's. It verges on maybe almost nihilism. Yeah. Uh, but the, maybe the reason I just don't like the word deconstruction is it just sounds a little bit too violent mm. for how we're going to approach something as precious as our faith. Now, I mean, I, I mean, one of the things that people who know me may know about me is that I had a very public transition theologically that began about 17 years ago, 2004 till whatever, you know, it was five or six, Mm -hmm. seven, eight years of that. But I never thought, and this was was before the term deconstruction was in vogue. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have a, I didn't have a nice handle for it. Eventually, when I began to write about it, I settled on the title of that memoir that tells that story, Water to Wine. I thought, I think that's a lot more beautiful that, you know, things were thin. uh, The wine had run out. uh, It felt like the party was dying down. And then Jesus shows up and does the miracle. Uh, Another way of thinking about it, though, might be uh, imagine that a, a very valuable icon is found a thousand year old icon is found in some you know mm-hmm. monastery in russia but but over the centuries it's been covered with a veneer of soot and ash and grime and all of that and we want to bring it back we want to restore mm-hmm. we want to recover the image upon the icon well you know the, the restoration artists is not going to be employing dynamite in this process. Right. Uh, it's going to Jackhammers. be delicate solvents yeah. and brushes and things like that. Another way of thinking about it is um, we all have our, we all construct our theological house. Mm-hmm. We can just say our theology, but let's stick with this metaphor for a moment of a theological house. And these are, this is where we, this is all. This is the palace for the king in some ways. Um, th- theology is just how we think and what we say about God, and it, and we also we all have a theological house. Whether we just inherit it, it's usually a combination of many things. Some of it's inherited. Some of it we cooked up ourselves. Some of it we did intentionally. Some of it happened unintentionally. But but we can wake up one day and go. 
this house is, is not worthy of the one that I say is king. And so now you got to remodel your house while living. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a tough one right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remodel a house while you're living in it. Yeah. And your, your theological house is not one thing. It's not, it's not a one-room bungalow. It's kind of a sprawling mansion. Yeah. And when I began to go through rethinking what I believed as a pastor, as a preacher, as something of a public figure, um, what I discovered was I had many, many rooms. Mm-hmm. And, and so, for example, my, my room of Christology I think it, it remained largely untouched. I think it, it, it's more enhanced today. There's more furniture in it. I can speak mm-hmm. more clearly about it, but nothing really changed. Yeah. Uh, other rooms, you know, we're going to have to do some significant remodeling. And then there was one whole wing of my theological house called eschatology. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is, that was deconstruction. We did have to bring in uh, the wrecking ball. Jack Hammer. That one just had to come down to the foundation and we start over again. Yeah. Uh, but you don't have to do that with your whole faith. So anyway, those are some thoughts. Um, yeah. I'll tell you, unless you just want to stop me here. <laughs> well, I, w- one comment I want to make um, about maybe a couple of those metaphors. I think they're both really helpful, um, especially the house metaphor, because I think – like you're right, a lot of people think about deconstruction as one thing. And if if you remove if you start, you know, renovating one room of the house, for example, they think their whole faith is at risk, right? Mm-hmm. And so just to, even to hear you say, like, yeah, the eschatology room, we had to go down to the foundation on that one. The Christology room, you know, it's like, you know, we repainted and at the, now we're and we're good, you know. Um, because I, I think that's that's one of the crises that I do see um people having when when they do start rethinking their faith like you said one of the crises that people have is that they think well this what this means none of it's true this means i i you know i have to choose something else some other religion i have to quit christianity and jesus completely if this one aspect that i've attached to that isn't true and it really um i think it's a freeing thought to realize like no we can we can rethink these things and there's more to our house than just one room. Yeah, and this this is uh, the trap door of fundamentalism that drops people down into atheism. Yep. That, you know, their faith has been constructed in such a way that if it turns out that the earth is not 6,000 years old, right. then the whole thing falls apart. Right. And, of course, that need never to have happened, but it does yeah. happen. So I, I talk yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the title, When Everything's on Fire, um, I open up with a lot of Nietzsche. Uh, and, and this is right. you know, this is this is accessible. This is I don't write academic books because I'm not an academic. <laughs> I read them, but I don't write them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not my task here. But I start off with a lot of Nietzsche and I've read almost all of Nietzsche. And uh, I have to admit, I have I have a certain fondness for the man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he's brilliant. I think uh, he's the most important critic of Christianity uh, of the modern era. I think you know that some of us anyway have to have to engage with Nietzsche and try to respond. And I, I open with Nietzsche's parable of the madman. And 
Nietzsche says uh, in the gay science, that's the name of the book. Think of it as joyful wisdom. Mm -hmm. That's what the book is about. And he has this parable where a madman shows up in a village on a bright sunny morning carrying a lit lantern. And he says, I'm seeking God. Where is God? I cannot find God. And the villagers are all laughing at him. And he, he says, oh, you don't know that God is missing. And he says, I'll tell you where God is. God is dead. And we have killed him. Mm -hmm. and, and, then, and then he smashes the lantern and goes into the churches and sings a requiem for God. Now, this is, of course, you know, Nietzsche is known for God is dead. Right. You know, yeah. That's what people know of him. Of course, that's not original with him. Uh, Hegel was saying something like that long before. And as a, as a Lutheran PK, Nietzsche would have heard in his dad's church a Holy Saturday hymn entitled God is Dead. <laughs> uh, what Nietzsche means by that, though, he, does, he isn't just making sort of a, you know, angry new atheist taunt. Yeah. What he's actually saying is he is looking, he's observing European society, Western European society in the 1880s, and he's saying people don't know it. They don't mm. know it yet. That's one of the things the madman says. He says, oh, I see I've come too soon. They don't know it, but God is no longer at the center of society. Mm. God has been pushed out to the irrelevant edges. Yeah. And people don't know that yet in 1880, but... Um, Nietzsche perceives it. Now, here's where it gets interesting, though. Nietzsche is not like Dennett and Harris and Dawkins and Hitchens, sort of atheists. Yeah, yeah giddy yeah. about this. Yeah, right. Now, he, he does believe, Nietzsche does believe that it's time for humanity to move on without God. But he, he knows it's risky. Hmm. He says, we have sponged away the horizon. The earth uh, is now unchained from the sun and is floating freely through the universe. His hope, Nietzsche's hope, and see, his great fear was nihilism. People say Nietzsche was a nihilist. No, he, that, he's the opposite of that, trying to be anyway, trying to be. I don't think he succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, he, what he hoped for was the ubermensch, the overman, the superman to emerge. And these were, these were men as great, and it would be men, by the way, not women, men as great Greek God-type heroes that would move beyond morality, that would unchain themselves from what he called uh, the slave morality of Christian love. He saw, hmm. he saw the concept of Christian love as just as a way for the weak to manipulate the strong and keep the human race lowly. Hmm. Um, his hope was for the Ubermensch. Uh, the Nazis got real excited about that. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, there, Alex. And, and and tried to implement. I mean, yeah. I mean, Nietzsche was yeah. their canonical text, and and we know how that ended up. But Nietzsche's fear was that instead of the overman, the superman, the ubermensch, we would end up with what he called the last man. Hmm. And the last man is completely incurious. The last man has nothing noble about him. He says the last man sits there and says, we've invented happiness 
and then stupidly blinks, you know. <laughs> he had uh, quite 1880 a- is describing what we describe today as a modern couch potato. Just sit yeah. in front of the TV, yeah. addled out of their brain yeah. with inane entertainment yeah. and with nothing more than that. So, so I start off with Nietzsche, and I say, well, look, what, what if when Nietzsche's madman smashes that lantern, it was kind of like Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicking over the lantern in Chicago, and, and eventually everything's on fire. Yeah. Nietzsche didn't create it. He just foresaw it. But, mm-hmm. then, but then I introduced Kierkegaard, who was every bit as polemic against the state Lutherism of Denmark as, as Nietzsche was, but... He, st- he still was able to hold on to faith. And so that's where I start. And, and I want to acknowledge that it's, it's, it's a trying time. It's difficult. But faith is possible. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You know, I wrote this book really from pastoral concern. Yeah. And IVP's publishing it. And, you know, when, when the, pub- the publisher has to decide what kind of book it is, so it's how it's filed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the, the first category they put it in was apologetics. And I thought, huh, mm-hmm. I w- that's right. But I, would, I never thought that because I'm pretty critical of the pop apologetics. I mean, I call out some of them by name. I'm not going to name them here, but, <laughs> but they show up in the book. I, think, I don't know if I name all of them. That, but I, I, think, I think pop apologetics are, are very cheap, almost worthless. They, they're trying to soothe nervous Christians. They don't change anybody's mind. Yeah. You know, a, yeah, a, a, a college freshman with a degree with a, with a class in philosophy can destroy most of those arguments. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the, I, I'm I'm looking seriously at the problem of of the challenges that we face in this in late modernity, early postmodernity, wherever we are, uh, of maintaining faith. And then I, I give a lot of. I just want to come alongside people that are saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm deacons. Right? All right. I understand. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have to rethink some things, but, but let's be careful here. And, mm-hmm. and I try to walk them through. This. So that's kind of what the book's about. Yeah. I don't think I did a very good. This one, the first, I did off a podcast, but I haven't really started talking about this book. I don't have a thing. <laughs> I'm going to right. read the thing and practice. Out how to yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can practice with us. I'm excited okay. about it. I mean, I, I think yeah. it's going to be, I think it's super timely. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. You know, Matt and I are pastors. Um, We pastor together. And it's a really common theme, you know, and in our leader cohorts uh, through Gravity. Yep. Again, common theme. A lot of times the reason get that people get into those cohorts is they are leaders themselves, yeah. as you found yourself, you know, as you said 17 years ago, who are in the midst of some kind of theological transition, but they don't because their whole life 
it's not like this extra thing in their life that they're like, oh yeah, I do this and this and this, and I happen to be a Christian and I'm rethinking my faith. But there's a lot at stake for a lot of these people right. because there's a lot bound up in their faith. There's family, there's relationships. And for a lot of people, there's vocation. There's like, how do I, how I make a living? Yeah. Um, and so um, I wonder if you could maybe just talk on a personal level about, I, um, I don't know if you've done this on our podcast before or not. I, I'm trying to remember if, if we asked you this question, but if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about um, the personal cost for you of mm. moving through this, because I think that's what, I think this book will be, is going to be helpful for people, but oftentimes yeah. it's the, it's the, the life implications for people that are like, man, if I, if I make this transition or if I th think this new thought, or if I go down this path, I'm not sure what it's going to cost me yeah. in terms of, you know, relationship and vocation and that, that kind of a thing. So can yeah. you address that a little bit? I, yeah, I can. Um, so for me, it really began over 20 years ago. I'm 62. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in my early forties, I started feeling this unease and everything was great. You know, I'm saying I mean, outwardly, our church was big, no problems, growing, exciting, all of that. But inwardly, I was like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was uneasy about it. There's nothing wrong. We weren't toxic or anything like that. It was just thin. Hmm. And, you know, so I, I kind of. That, that lingered for about four years, and I started reading patristics because I never had, and I thought, man, I just got to back up here and, and, and go to the beginning of this thing. Patristics, philosophy, which I'd always been interested in, but you know, you may not know this, but most charismatic pastors actually don't read philosophy. <laughs> and so I just said, no, I don't care about those guys. I'll just, I won't tell anybody, but on the sly, I'll be reading my Plato or whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, And so that was, you know, changing me, but but with 2004, I, I began to, and I don't want to tell the whole story, but I began to make some, re, I began to make progress. And I began to find the good stuff. I'm talking about theology. And I began to devour it gladly, mm. delightedly. But then, then it's changing me. It's changing how I think and speak about God. And that's going to change how I preach. I was entirely cognizant that this is risky. Mm. Now, the first thing I want to say is, uh, especially because I know, you know lots of pastors listen to this, you kind of have to be realistic about whether or not you can bring your church with you hmm. or whether you can even try. Uh, you don't know whether you can bring the congregation with you. What you might need to evaluate, first of all, though, is do I even have Am I even capable of trying? Yeah. So I was making significant theological changes from the pulpit on Sunday mornings for several years. Mm -hmm. What I, but you have to know who I am. I am the founding pastor of a non-denominational church. None, neither of which I'm all thrilled about. It's just that's the reality. Right. Yeah. Uh, founding pastor of a non-denominational church with decades of equity. You know, yeah, I've been there right. for a long time. So, so what wasn't going to happen was I, no one was going to fire me and no bishop was going to come and yank me out. 
Mm-hmm. Now I could be left. <laughs> right. I could be just getting left holding the mortgage <laughs> right. and everybody's gone. Uh, that could have happened. Uh, but, but I knew I could try. And yeah. so I did. Not everybody can even try, but I tried. And, you know, you can read the story in Water to Wine, but here's mm-hmm. what I can tell you. In Water to Wine, as I look at it now, I think I wrote it in 2015, 14, 15, something like that. 15 probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I downplayed how painful it was. Hmm. And I think I partly did because I was still hurting. Yeah. I can honestly say that I'm not anymore. Perry and I are fine. We're not hurting anymore. We can mm-hmm. show you the scars, but but there's no pain in it. Yeah, it's just yeah. part of our story and our identity. But we lost a thousand people. Hmm. And I don't know. I mean, you have to understand, I never thought of Word of Life as a mega church, okay? I thought that was just be completely, we were a Jesus movement church, charismatic mm-hmm. church. It rooted in the Jesus movement that stayed under 100 for seven years, okay? Under 100, mostly way under 100 <laughs> <laughs> for seven years. Wow. And then experienced exponential growth in the 90s and became quite large. I, to this day, I can't even completely explain what happened. I don't know. Something happened. <laughs> but, you know, we loved these people, and we, and we knew them. Yeah. And I'm, in a, I'm not in a big city. You know, St. Joe's 70,000 people. And so you lose all those people. It means, you know, you see them everywhere you go. Yeah. And every time you see them, it hurts. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, I always knew that it was risky what I was doing, mm. I, but I really thought more would come with me than did. And that's mm. what hurts. Because they were, these were people, they, these might be people, not might be, a lot of more people that I had led to the Lord in my 20s. Maybe mm. I had married them. Maybe I had baptized them, baptized their kids, married their kids. Right. You know, right. Lots of life lived together. Yeah. And they thought I was going liberal. Or they thought I was backsliding, which was the weirdest one to me. Because I thought, yeah. I feel like I'm drawing closer to Jesus than I ever have. I feel the opposite is happening. But yeah. uh, Others said I was emergent. And when they first said that, I had, seriously, I had no idea what it meant. I like had mm-hmm. to like, Google it. You know, yeah. what is this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell this. I think somebody might appreciate this. So, I... The changes that were happening to me were from reading people like, you know, it's the usual suspects in one sense, N.T. Wright, Walter mm-hmm. Brueggemann, Stanley Hauerwas. Those were the contemporary people I was reading, and David Bentley Hart. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really reading any of the popular level stuff at all. Mm-hmm. I really never did. But... Um, People in an accusatory way would come up to me and say, "You're reading Brian McLaren," mm. <laughs> and I would say, "And I had never heard of him." I sincerely yeah. had never heard of him. Now, since then, I've met Brian, and he's a great guy. But, but then for a long time, I refused to read him because I because I want to be able to continue to say, "I have never read a word." Uh, <laughs> so, so there was something happening. Yeah. That 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 even though I wasn't at all part of what was called emergence, I I kind of looked like that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But because I never signed up 
to any kind of move. I, I'm a notorious non-joiner. I'm, just, I'm terrible about that. It's, it's mostly a bad habit, but sometimes it has its upside. <laughs> and, and because yeah. I don't join things very easily or hardly at all, um, there's a freedom in that. Yeah. And so this movement's all going this way. Well, I, I never joined that movement. So I don't, I, if we help, if we happen to walk together for a while, so be it. Right. But I'm following something else. I'm not following mm-hmm. this movement. And um, so the question was, I don't know. It was painful. It really was. It hurt a whole lot. I wouldn't want to go through it again. I, there, I, I survived it because of three things. Number one, Perry, my wife. I wasn't bringing her along. She was also on this journey. We were just both on this journey simultaneously. And there was never a second of discord about, you know, we're changing our theology. But there was never a moment that we were both, we saw it as terribly exciting. You know, we were, we were, I don't think we were reactive. We weren't angry. We just said things are thin. I began to call it easy, cheesy, cotton candy Christianity. And I wanted something better than that. Yeah. I, I never had a crisis of faith regarding Jesus. I had a, I just felt like Jesus deserved a better Christianity than what I saw. <laughs> yeah. And so as I began to find it, so well, lo and behold, it exists. <laughs> and we were finding it together. We weren't always reading the same stuff. It's kind of a division of labor. We tend not to read too often the same books because the other yeah. one will, Tell the other one what it's about. <laughs> right, right. There's so many books, you know, we got to yeah. divide and conquer. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so Perry was with me. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I think just, just by the providential grace of God, two friends came into my life right about that time, 2004, 2005, Brad mm-hmm. Jerzak and Joe Beach. And these are my dearest friends. These are the people that I text with literally every day. Have I texted with them today? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably not for the last time today. I mean, I'll find some joke or something to send them. Yeah. And, uh, and so they were, you know, at that time, Brad was uh, still pastoring. Joe pastors to this day, Amazing Grace Church and everyone. We just, I mean, just found each other. Hmm. And, you know, to be able to walk through that with, with someone that believes in you and, and loves you and, and we kind of had this, we would all, if one of us said, guys, you got to read this book. It was like just an unwritten rule in our three musketeer friendship that, yep, okay, if they say I got to read, then I have to. Yeah. So we're reading a lot of the same books. And and anyway, so that, that was a grace. And then the third thing was, it was about that time that I began to learn how to pray well. And, you know, I've done prayer schools and Yep. with gravity and all several of them. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where that, that happened at that same time. And that's the, that's a big one. Yeah. If I wasn't learning how to pray in formative ways and to sit with Jesus during it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I would have survived it. I mean, by that, I mean, I think the pain might've become too much mm. where at some point out of frustration, and anger, I might've just said, screw it. Yeah. You know, there's other ways to make a living. Yeah. And, uh, no, but because I was learning how to pray well, I was able to bear it. It, it what didn't make it unpainful, but I was able to bear it. Yeah. So those three things got me through. And then the final thing, and I people probably get tired of me. It's like somebody somebody talking about Amway all the time. I talk about the Camino, but um, <laughs> the first time Perry and I walked the Camino de Santiago, five hundred miles across northern Spain, that's what healed us. 
I mean, we didn't we didn't go. We just felt like we were supposed. We took our first break, our first sabbatical ever. I mean, we we'd take a vacation, but you know, miss one Sunday. Yeah, we'd never taken any kind of break hmm. in twenty. Well, at that point, in thirty five years, thirty five years. Yeah, hmm. and so this was the we were going to miss seven Sundays and walk across Spain. And uh, it, it's it's the, it's the strangest thing. Yeah, we left we left in, in great pain. And came back pain free. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know exactly why that is. I'm not saying that would work for anybody else. It just happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, so that's that's part of the story. Yeah. yeah. Can I can I ask you then? So water to wine, 2015. Mm-hmm. A lot's been happening since 2015, Brian. <laughs> um, you yeah, know, I, I would say I would say the. The reckoning of Donald Trump's presidency mm-hmm. and the Black Lives Matter movement that's really kicked up since the last six years has been as much of a cultural earthquake, maybe, as post-modernity was in the oh, you know, 90s and 2000s. I agree. Um, so what have you noticed in the years since you wrote that book hmm. that have continued to shake and shift how you practice faith, how you see faith, and how you have to pastor people who look at the same person and one person sees the Antichrist, and the, and the other person sees King David. Well, one thing is we we were ahead of it all at Word of Life. I mean, what we were doing 2004 through 2014, it took 10 years. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't like saying that because people got 10 years. It took you 10 years to transition a church? Yeah, it took a decade. Mm-hmm. And then it took two more years for us to get healed. By, by, by 2014, everything was good. We were still hurting. But by, but by the end of 2016, we weren't hurting anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made the changes that if we, were, if we had started in 2014 instead of 2004, it would have been just so much more volatile. So that the great crises that have piled upon churches in America over the last five years, I mean, we've felt it a little bit, but we had already repositioned our church and we really haven't felt much of it. It hasn't really been a problem. Hmm. Um, Word of life is certainly absolutely not a monolith politically or otherwise. What is common? What 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 is what our culture is? And this is sound hokey, and it's it's not. It wasn't a, a a project or a sermon series or anything. In fact, I we never tried to do it, but it just happened. Hmm. One of the things is part of our culture is kindness, hmm. and you can support whatever political candidate or political position you want, pretty much in our church as long as you're not an a-hole about it. That's when, if, if you become ugly, that's when in our culture rises up. So, no, we're not like that around here. You know, so you still have to be kind and, and considerate and loving to everybody around you. You can hold different opinions, but you can't be that. You can't be that. And I don't even know exactly, I mean, that somehow that came into our church, became a value without it being spoken. We don't sit around and say, we're the kind church. <laughs> we don't do anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. an observation I think that I've made that is true, that is accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, COVID just won't go away. Uh, and so kind of what we've done with our church, with, with children's ministry, is uh, we've just tied it to our public school system. We just do what they do because mm-hmm. we didn't want to have to try to make decisions on our own like we know anything. Yeah. And uh, so public schools are, are opening up, you know, like next week and they're having a, you know, it's mass, mass mandate for kids in public school. So that's what we do, mm-hmm. you know, and that's. That's not popular with everybody. You know, we got letters, you know, how come, but we just say, you know, um, we decided long ago that we were just going to mirror, as far as our children's ministry, what the public school system does. Hmm. And so, yeah. So I I didn't send out the letter. I didn't respond to any of the letters. I just saw them all. And our team did a good job. They were kind. and We understand we're all frustrated. We can't make everybody happen, but here's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to be blowing up. It's not a big – I think this is kind of tempered. Yeah. uh, But if if we were just trying – I can't imagine if I'd been a decade late. Yeah. First of all – the most horrifying thought is, I mean, surely Perry assures me that there's no possibility this would have happened. But what if I'd just been sucked into all that? Mm-hmm. Perry assures me, Brian, you 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 couldn't have been that. You're too much of a rock and roll guy or something. You're, you got too much hippie in you to ever have become what the religious right has become. <laughs> I said, well, I hope so. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So so it was good to to get ahead of that. But I really feel for pastors that that are sort of you know like realize oh my goodness yeah uh, the capitulation of American Christianity to a certain political movement this is horrible and I've got to try now at the last minute to pull my church out of that yeah Whew. yeah I mean that's that's when you you know that's when you have a mutiny and the pastors walk in the plank yeah. Well, I, I hear, I mean, that's, those are sobering words. Uh, I hear in that um, a continuity between the transition that, you know, that we're talking about, this deconstruction thing, a continuity between that and some of the issues that are manifesting themselves, you know, right now in churches. Uh, and in that there's, um, I heard you name bad news and good news. Um, the bad news is what you just said, like trying to do it now is, is really, really difficult for so many reasons, because we're so far down this path and, you know, to try to, to try to back it up is just, you know, it's, it is a recipe for, you know, having to walk the plank or, you know, that kind of thing. And I know a lot of pastors are quitting, um, because of this. I know for sure that yeah, when water to wine came out, I went through a period of time for about two or three years, right? I mean, almost every week, if I was in town, Mm -hmm. pastors, who read the book, resonated, wanted to come meet me. Yeah. And they would come and we would go out to lunch or whatever. And they would, we just talk. Yeah. About, okay. How can I, how can I help my, okay. That has ended now. It's former pastors. Yeah. That yeah. are reaching out. I mean, we, yeah. we've had several actually move to St. Yeah. Joseph. And I don't know if you know it. St. Joseph is not like a major destination. No, I, I've been there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but people have, but we've yeah. had several pastors and their spouses move here just because they think, okay, it's a safe this haven. This is a place I can be. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I think there's just, I don't have any of the stats, you know, like barn. I don't know. I just know anecdotally that I was, I was meeting with pastors that were trying to transition their church. Now I'm meeting with former pastors. Yeah. Yeah. I want, uh, so that is, you know, maybe some of the sobering news it's, it's worth, uh, not having false hope though. You know, if you're a pastor out there, who's like, maybe this will work. Like <laughs> it is worth knowing that like, no, this could blow up, but actually that might be okay. I wonder if, I mean, you hope the storm doesn't go on hmm. too long, yeah. but you wonder if maybe you just sort of hunker down and, and wait a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It could be. It doesn't sound too. like you to say stuff like that, but <laughs> I almost feel that, that, now would not necessarily be the time to initiate something that is a big change. I mean, mm. not just the political, but COVID, everything is just so, so much inflamed on. right now. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, the, the book eventually takes a turn. And I talk about everything being on fire in a different way. Mm. A, a flame with the glory of God. I don't want to give too much away, but the book is open-eyed about the problems and challenges we face. And I set yeah. the table like that, but it's not at all a bleak book. I yeah. think brims with hope, but I, I start with the problem yeah. and honesty. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what I was hearing in the good news as well, is that you did, you did that, you did take your church through a transition. Um, but the fruitfulness of the other side of that is, is a really good thing. You know, the fruitfulness is, man, we can go through 2016 and, and a pandemic and we don't have all the huge issues that other people have because something's changed about our culture. Something's changed about the way that we relate to each other. You know, something's changed in such a way that pastors are like, maybe this is a safe place where I could, you know, go to church and, and be part of a community of faith. Um, and so I think that that's something I want to highlight too, is just like, there is some, uh, like you said about the end of your book, it does brim with hope that there is, um, there's not just the sobering reality, but there is the reality that God, like this isn't affecting God's ruling and reigning of the universe, you know? True. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me ask you a couple, a couple questions that your story uh, brought up for me. One is a question from, uh, this is actually a question from somebody who is in a gravity leadership Academy cohort right now, a leader uh, that I just talked to this week. Um, and she was saying that she I was realizing that she has this deep hunger to learn. She's been on this journey of deconstruction, you know, whatever we want to call it, you know, re- rethinking her faith uh, pretty f- profoundly for, um, I can't remember how long, but probably about 10 years, you know, like a significant uh, rethinking. And she she says, I, I still have this deep hunger to keep growing and to keep learning, but I also have this fear that I'm going to accidentally step off the foundation. I have this fear that I'm going to step off the boat uh, accidentally. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a shift. I'm going to make a transition and like, I'm going to go into free fall and I'm going to, I'm going to lose my faith mm-hmm. accidentally. Like I'm not going to know, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And um, later in your book, you have a chapter called the only foundation. So I wonder if, I wonder if what you would say to her, um, who who's, has this hunger to learn, but finds herself like withdrawing a little bit or holding back a little bit because of this fear of like, am I going to accidentally lose my faith and step yeah, off? This both? is where I am conservative and hmm. progressive. I'm progressive because the journey's ongoing. 
and all that needs to be said about God revealed in Christ has not been said yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that needs to be addressed has not been addressed yet. And so the project is ongoing. That's how I'm progressive. Mm-hmm. But I'm really, truly, deeply conservative, not in the faux contemporary American political or or theological fundamentalism, which is not conservative at all, very modern. <laughs> right. I'm truly conservative in that I, um, I'm just gonna live. I, I trust the church. Yeah. I trust. I, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna look right in the camera and say I trust the church. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Scandalous. I mean the whole. Yeah. Church, I don't mean any one particular, and I know all the. There's never been a golden era anyway. Right. Ever, yeah, and yet I think the church gets it right hmm. over the long, long haul. And so, uh, the idea that I would depart from the Nicene Creed, I just can't do that. People say it's a slippery slope. I say, Yeah, but we got the fixed ropes. So, get <laughs> your ice axe, get your crampons, clip in, and climb. Yeah. Uh, as far as the foundation, well, the foundation is Jesus, but it's it, it's not the Bible. It's Jesus, mm-hmm. and this is Jesus revealed to us. This is part of the problem since the Enlightenment. I'm, I, ha- I have no quarrel with any scientific theory, any peer-reviewed scientific theory. I'm, Yes, yes. The universe is 13.8 billion years old, plus or minus 0.04%. Yes, I know that. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know of any scientific theory that is any threat to my faith. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the scientific method. It's just not how you're going to find God. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, the, the five physical sense organs by which we perceive the world around us in material form, great. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm willing to take all the information that together the scientific community can gather about that. Mm-hmm. But it's not how you're going to find God. Yeah. The organ that is the heart, I mean, that we typically call it the heart. I don't mean necessarily the, the, the organ that pumps blood, but they may be related but the heart is how God makes himself known. Now, in modernity, we've been shamed and said, oh, you, you can't trust your heart. Sure you can. You say your heart can be deceived. Well, so can your mind. I mean, lots of things can be deceived. <laughs> but you can form your heart in such a way that yeah. you can hear from God. Blaise mm-hmm. Pascal says, the heart has its reasons. Mm-hmm. Of its reason knows nothing. Now, Blaise Pascal, you know, one of the great mathematicians of the Western world, the father of the of the computer, you know, um, you know, he's a 17th century uh, mathematician and mystic. Um, so he he's certainly not against empirical knowledge, but he just understands that all that can be known is not known in that method. And so, why do I believe in Jesus? Because he's been revealed to me. Hmm. I can't prove it. I'm not going to try to prove it, but it can't be this. I can either. I, I witness to it. So hang on to Jesus. Sit with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Let everything else fall away. But I mean, the reason I'm still a Christian is because of Jesus. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I, I like, you know, the great world religions. I think they're better than being an atheist or a nihilist or a materialist or a mm-hmm. whatever else is out there. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, I have, I have more common ground with, with a, with a right. normative Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist than I do with a hardcore secularist who right. believes there's nothing sacred and there is no God. Um, so I have great respect for the world religions, but, but I, but I kind of privilege Christianity cause it's got Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if Christianity is, is better than every form of Hinduism or whatever, but I do know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Jesus has, that's, that's how I got into this thing. I was yeah. captured by G he's been revealed to me and I can't imagine letting go of that. Yeah. But, but I want to say also, because I think we think we can have, um, Jesus doesn't come to us unmediated. Mm-hmm. Jesus, the message of Jesus is preserved by the church. Okay, uh, so I, I know it's it's very much in vogue to say all manner of evil about the church. To which I would also say, okay, well, when couldn't you have said that? I mean, pick any era, pick any century, and and, and tell me that that was if somehow is better than. <laughs> there's never been a golden age, uh, and yet, call me crazy. When Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of death, Hades, hell will not prevail. I, I, I think that, that seems to be true. Yeah. And so, see, there's a chapter in the book called All Alone Upstairs. Mm-hmm. And it's really all alone upstairs in your head. Descartes, mm-hmm. who was a believer and was trying to prove the existence of God, which is a madness. <laughs> uh, he kicked us upstairs inside our head. Cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. And they were all thrown up inside our own head, being the sole individual arbiter of what is true, or it's not authentic. And I don't think we can long hold on to faith that way. We need to come down out of our head Mm -hmm. into the living room of the heart, and we need to be with others. I mean, part one, I don't think I deal with this in the book, but one of the philosophical problems with Descartes' method of doubting your way to what he thinks is solid ground foundation. I think therefore I am is he's forgotten or maybe he's not aware that he is using language to form that syllogism. Right. Cogito ergo sum. Yeah. And he did not invent Latin. Right. (laughs) It was, it was a community. It was a communal effort that he had nothing to do with. And so a community even gave him as a gift. He had nothing to do with it. Here's language by which you can form thought. So he was not doing that alone. Mm -hmm. And trying to hold on to faith all by yourself can sometimes be an impossible task. Yeah. And so when I say I trust the church, I just say, I'll say to anybody, you got to trust somebody. You're going to have to trust. You cannot get through this. You'll become a paranoid, you know, neurotic human being if you don't trust. We spend a lot of our life trusting. And I'm going to have, I don't mean any one given church. And I don't mean, and I know that bad things happen. But as a whole, 
the, you know, the accumulated witness over 2,000 years that the church, the great tradition the church agrees upon as a whole, I trust that. And I'm going to continue to trust it. Yeah. I I hear in that, you know, if you, if to, to assuage that fear then is to, is to say something like, uh, if you really, if Jesus is what you really want, if Jesus is what you, is who you really want, uh, Jesus is going to make sure that that's what you get. I believe that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And to seek that in community as well. Um, I think that's, that's really helpful. Yes. Really good. Um, one last question, Brian. Um, and this, this kind of skirts around some of what you've been talking about. You know, you, the, the expression of the church that you, you named that kind of got you through your period of like, uh, theological transition was the church. It was, you know, it was Brad and, uh, mm-hmm. your friends and it was, it was Perry and, uh, but it was also prayer. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that mm-hmm. and perambulation <laughs> on the canton. Uh, anyway, I, I thought of that earlier and I thought I want to come back to that and uh, alliterate your three, uh, your three <laughs> things that got you through. Um, anyway. Um, but I, uh, I wonder if you could uh, just comment, you know, one of the last chapters of the, of the book is called a mystic or nothing at all. And you quote Carl Rahner, who, who says the devout Christian of the future will either be a mystic, one who has experienced something, or he will cease to be anything at all. I wonder if you could comment on um, kind of how you're interpreting that and, and what that means. And Yeah, the word mystic sometimes um, is misunderstood. Some people hear something nefarious, you know, some sort of like, you know, new age spiritism or something like that. As Christians, what we mean by mystic is someone simply who has had a direct encounter with the divine. And Mm -hmm. it's astounding how much of the Bible attests to that reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of the prominent seminal figures in the Bible, whether you're talking about Abraham or Mary or Paul or David or whoever you want to name, they all fit the description of a mystic, but they encounter God directly. And I, th- for whatever reason, we've sort of lost that. That that, and, and this was actually this was actually the good side of the charismatic renewal of the early seventies, late sixties, yep. early seventies. And in fact, that phrase, um, "the Christian of the future will be a mystic or nothing at all." Carl Rahner was saying that directly in the context of the charismatic renewal that had a powerful influence on the Catholic Church. And yep. he was a German Catholic theologian. Mm-hmm. And it was at that time that Teresa of Avila was declared a doctor of the church. That is, you know, a theologian particularly trusted. Right. And of course, she she is the consummate mystic, or at least one of them, one yeah. of the great Spanish For mystics. Sure, yeah. And so that was that was Carl Rahner affirming. He he also called the charismatic movement mysticism for the masses. <laughs> now I know that that in the I know it went awry, and it became corrupted with prosperity gospel and celebrity and television. I I, I know about all that. I lived through it. Um, but the idea that you that the Christian that in encounters with the divine, hearing God speak, right? I, I, I understand that's all a risky venture, and, and we all have stories about nut jobs, you know. But, but look, the idea that the Spirit of God communicates to you and to us—I mean, it isn't always, you know. These we should we best discern these things in community. 
Um, that's normative. That's the normal Christian life, as yeah. set forth in Scripture anyway. Right. Um, and all the books that I've written, I, I've written, I, keep, I don't know, it's like 11 books in 12 years or something like that. Um, they are really, almost all of them are me trying to set forth in theological word and thought things that originally came as just a mystical word. And and now I'm trying. It's it's faith seeking understanding. Seeking understanding. The, yep. the faith is the foundation. Yep. Faith seeking yeah. understanding. That's uh, that's uh, mm. a thousand years ago. Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Anselm. There you go. Oh, yeah. Or is it? Is it, it? Now I'm doubting myself. It's, I think it's Augustine. Yeah. Faith seeking understanding. One of the A's, because I was almost going to say Aquinas. I'm not <laughs> even older. <laughs> even older. I'm sure in some quoted Augustine, if, if that's yeah. the case. Yes. Hmm. Yes. <clears throat> well, um, that's really helpful. That's um, uh, especially considering, like, you know, the the Christian of the future will be a mystic or nothing at all. We'll consider the alternative. You know, uh, a Christian who hmm. doesn't talk to God, who doesn't have experiences, you know, with the divine, like, uh, who would want that? <laughs> it's, well, like a it's, it's like crusty old faith. I've heard, I've heard, yeah. uh, deconstructing Christians say things like, I no longer believe in an interventionist God. So mm. What are we back to deism now? <laughs> what good's a non-interventionist God? Yeah. I understand, you know, that you we can't control God and we can't make right. God intervene as we would like. I mean, we've all learned that lesson fairly quickly, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, but the idea that God doesn't intervene, hmm. I, yeah. I don't think so at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just do I can I prove I can prove any of this. Do I think that meeting Brad Jerzak and Joe Beach 16, 17 years ago? that there was something of the divine in that. I think that was part of God's intervention. Mm. I think that was some providential grace. I'll sound like a Calvinist here for a second. I think that was some <laughs> providential grace yeah. work in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Intervening. I, mean, I didn't pray for that. Exa- I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even known to pray for it. I mean, yeah. I was praying, but I wouldn't, you know, if God only did, if God only answered our prayers the way we prayed him, I don't know that anything would be any better. <laughs> We need we need a God that can do more than just answer our prayers the way we pray them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And now we're back to uh, you know, uh themes of prayer school, uh, things like that. So mm-hmm. um well this we're we're rapidly running out of time here, Brian. Uh the time time flies when we're chatting with you. You are um yeah. uh great uh great uh, conversation partner to have on this podcast. Um again, the book is called When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. Uh, it comes out November 9th. Is that right? Is that still correct. correct? And it looks like it did get recategorized here. It's now in uh, Christian living and spiritual growth instead of apologetics. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. Well, um, but anyway. I don't, I, don't, I, I'm, I don't like being categorized too much anyway. So, I know. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is. It's going to be a nice hardback book and all that. That's mm-hmm. you got the. Well, that's fun. You got the cheapy advanced mm-hmm. reader copy. I do, yeah. This, it's floppy in my hand. <laughs> and and there, are, there, are, there are typos in <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, anyway, uh, this, uh, this will be a great resource, um, for those who are aware that everything's on fire with the fires of destruction, but who are looking also for, uh, 
everything being on fire with the glory of the Lord. Refining yeah. and purifying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Brian. All right. So it's good to be with you guys. I really, I like what you do. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.